Paul realizes that the people of Athens, by their pagan religion, are seeking a relationship with the divine. He challenges them to follow the living God whom he worships. A reading from the Acts of the Apostles. Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each of each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and the imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. The psalm that has been appointed for this morning is Psalm 66, verses 7 through 18, found on page 4 of your worship leaflet. If you are able, please stand and sing. Peter offers words of hope to to disciples who are suffering. He urges them to accept hardship for the sake of what is right and to encourage one another. A reading from the first letter of Peter. Now who will harm you if you are eager to do what is good? But even if you do suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear, and do not be intimidated. But in your heart sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and reverence. Keep your conscience clear, so that when you are maligned, those who abuse you for your good conduct in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if suffering should be God's will, than to suffer for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he also went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in former times did not obey, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah, during the building of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were saved through water. And baptism, which which this prefigured, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from your body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers made subject to him. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel of our Savior Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides in you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me. And those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Be seated, please. My sermon's going to be a little bit different this morning. I usually start with the scriptures and kind of give the background. Um, Today it's going to be more a meditation on the word orphan. Um, I will not leave you orphaned, says Jesus to his disciples. We tend to think of orphans as young children stuck in foster care somewhere or in an orphanage. But about, oh, I don't know if it was 17 years ago, 18 years ago, um, my dad's mother died. Um, I went to Iowa for the funeral. Um, my, parent, my mom's parents had both died several years earlier, and my dad's dad had died several years earlier. And at the funeral, my dad turned to my mom and said, well, we're both orphans now. Um, We tend not to think of folks in their 60s and 70s as orphans, but technically, if your parents have died, you're an orphan. Of course, my parents are getting older, and I'm thinking about the day when I will inevitably be an orphan. And um, although I certainly don't rely on my parents the way I did when I was a child, it's nice to know that they're out there between me and death, Um, And the day is coming when they won't be, and it will be me standing there between my children and death. So Jesus is talking to his disciples, um, to the Johannine community, who are feeling cut adrift, feeling bereft. And he says, I will not leave you orphaned, but I will send you another advocate who will be among you. The word that John uses for um, Holy Spirit, paraclete, can be translated as advocate, can be translated as comforter, it can be translated as encourager, all things which good parents are to their children help us grow up. And so it's interesting to think about that coming to dwell with us. In the adult forum, we've been reading the Confessions of St. Augustine, and I've had to revise my view of Augustine. I've had this very Protestant view of Augustine um, refracted through Luther as being very, very pessimistic about human nature, about nature in general. It's all just depraved, and and we can only hope that God's mercy um, will save us and get us out of this. 
Augustine, in reality, is much more optimistic about the world. In fact, he's probably too in love with the world, if anything, rather than wanting to, to be free of it, and, um, and talks about um, his deep love for, for all of it. But sin, for Augustine, is disordered love. It's loving the creature rather than the creator, loving a thing for itself rather than for God. He tells the story in the confessions of being a kid and with some friends stealing some pears from an orchard and then sneaking off and eating those pears, and they didn't taste very good. Um, It was the fun of stealing them that he was after, um, loving the thing for itself. And if he had loved them for God, they probably would have tasted a whole lot better. We might call that now addiction or codependence, loving the thing for itself rather than for the creator. And correctly ordered love is loving the creator through the thing. So think about your parents. If you were lucky to have good parents, you probably went through three stages in your love for your parents. I know that I did um, with my parents. In the first stage... I loved them for their benefit for me. As a two-year-old and a six-year-old and an eight-year-old, I didn't very often think of the world from my parents' perspective. If my mother was having a bad day and was scolding me, it didn't matter to me what was wrong in her world. It only mattered to me that she was scolding me. It didn't matter in my world that she loved me except as it was good for me. Of course, as I grew a little bit older, I came to see the world from my parents' perspective and began to love them for who they were rather than for the good they could do for me. I began to see them as real people with real joys and real flaws and real gifts. And finally, I think we come to the stage, if we're lucky, of loving our parents for God. And I mean the pun. We love them as if we are God's agents. We love them for God. And we love them because God has given them as gifts to us. And hopefully, even if you haven't had good parents, even if your life has been difficult, you can come to that point where you can at least allow God to love them for who they are. Love them for God. I think we go through that progress in loving even ourselves. At first, we love ourselves for the benefit that we bring to ourselves. Watch a two-year-old dancing to her own music, and you know what I mean. She's just having a great time. But boy, if something goes wrong in her world, watch out. Um, She can't see it from the other perspective. Then, finally, we get to the point where we can see ourselves from a realistic perspective, see ourselves as real people with real gifts, and we can love ourselves for ourselves. And at the last, we never get there, of course, in this life, but this is where we're going. We see ourselves from the divine perspective. We can see ourselves as God sees us and take the same joy in ourselves that God takes in us. I think we tend in this world to see ourselves at two extremes. We either think we're God's gift to the world and everybody should love us, or we tend to diminish our own gifts and hide our light under a bushel. And the point is to get to the place where we see ourselves from the divine perspective and enjoy ourselves the way God enjoys us. Jesus says, 
the one who loves me and keeps my commandment, that one I will send the advocate. To that community I will send the advocate to be with you forever. God doesn't desire us to be alone. We can't always have parents out there taking care of us, being our advocates, our encouragers, our comforters. We have to come to the point where we can love the world for God. Love the world as God's agents and love the world because God is in it. And when we've come to that point, we will never be abandoned. We will always have a community of people around us to support us and to care for us. That wonderful confusion of boundaries that happens in John's Gospel. I am in the Father and I will come to dwell with you and you in me. Divine coherence, I like to call that. When we've come to the place where we can see the world from God's perspective, we can see that God co-inheres with everything and with us as well. So we will never be left alone. The Collect put it wonderfully this morning. Pour into our hearts such love for you that we, loving you in all things and above all things, may obtain your promises which exceed everything that we can desire. We have to get to that point where we see God in everything. I think that's why we're given parents, is to get that practice. If we've got luck, if we've got good ones, we're lucky and we can practice with them. If we've had bad ones, so much the more we need to get to that point where we can love them for God, see them as God sees them, so that we can see ourselves as God sees us and see the world as God sees the world and enjoy it the way God does. Amen.